Good morning. Good morning. I just want to say welcome. Um, missed you guys this week. Um, and it feels like a really long time, which in some cases it it's not, but it feels like it is, um, especially like when we work and stuff. I've not been used to that, but now we're back in that. And I have to get up, and it's weird. Um, it's okay. <coughs> By the power of God, I live so rough. Um, <laughs> um, this morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, so if you follow you, go ahead and go that way. Um, but man, excited to be back with you guys this morning, excited to get back into the series we started last week, Going for Gold. Um, I think I actually, I don't, I don't know if anybody got the message, but I have heard more people are watching the Olympics this week, so it's good. <laughs> and we heard, we heard at least one thing, so it's not just me telling you shot anymore, there's a couple more, uh, couple more in the house watching the Olympics, but man, uh, the series is actually just kind of based off of the Olympics, it's just coming, coming from a... So just a place of liking the Olympics. I've been thinking about it for maybe like a month. Uh, just knowing we were leading up, getting close. It's a cool thing. It only happens once every four years. So uh, I will actually watch sports once every four years. It's really weird. Um, I love the Olympics. Um, that's, some of you guys know me. And you're like, there's no way that guy watches sports. I even watch things that I didn't even know existed um, because they're on the Olympics. Like I didn't even know water polo was a thing. And you can watch that on TV. And that's even weirder probably to me. Um, they, what was this, rugby this week? Like, I didn't know people still did that. Um, the people do that, and apparently it's in the Olympics. Um, and I've been watching all, all this weird, I haven't watched basketball this week. It's so not like me, it's so weird. Um, so you need to pray for me, because um, that's not me. But <laughs> I love the Olympics, and what I love about the Olympics probably more than anything is not really the sports, it's a bunch of sports I really care less about, um, just kind of like almost all the other sports. Um, it's a bunch of sports that I don't normally watch, don't normally care about, don't normally even bother turning on the TV for. I'm like a news and cartoons guy myself. But, um, but I watch the Olympics, and I think the thing I love the most about the Olympics is just kind of the level of competition um, that there is. It's the world like, coming around trying to win a little round gold thing. And if you're at the Olympics, you are the most amazing person at whatever in your country. How that works. Like you can't go to the Olympics because you wake up one morning and you're like, oh, that'd be really cool to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, you can't just buy a plane ticket, show up, and be like, I'm going to run this marathon. That's not how that works. <laughs> you have to be the most amazing swimmer or rugby player or basketball player or whatever in your country to get there. And then when you show up to this place, uh, you're not showing up with the mentality that, hey, I made it to the Olympics. You're showing up with the mentality that, hey, I want to win the medal. That, that's your whole country's behind you actually rooting for that. And you're not just coming for any medal. Like, you don't just wake up, like, oh, bronze would be great. I'm going to go get some bronze medals this year. Or, man, silver, that's good. I get to almost be on the top. That'd be amazing if I could just stand next to the guy who is the guy. Like, that's not the mentality. It's I want to be on top. I want to win. I want the medal, right? Like, even the Filipino doubters, I saw that in the street. Even they, for some reason, thought, I'm going to the Olympics and I'm going to win the gold. And they didn't. <laughs> But that was the goal. They even high-fived like they had won it after they got done. It was amazing. Um, Lee bad. But they went there for that reason. They actually just kind of, if you haven't seen it, they just flip and do a back flop thing. It looks painful. Um, but everybody that shows up goes with that mentality that I'm going to win the goal. And because of that, you can, you can watch those little stories that they play sometimes before this athlete runs or this athlete swims or whatever they do. And you see this little video of their life. And from a very early age, every single time, this person started in this activity, whatever it was, swimming or 
whatever gymnastics, and uh, they maybe moved from here to there to be with the right coach and to be kind of in the right atmosphere, and they kind of discarded social life. They'll always be like, hey, what do you do on the weekends? And they're like, well, I'd swim. <laughs> I'm trying to win the gold. You, you didn't know that. And, uh, I put my whole life into this one moment. And they wrap everything, and even the families wrap everything around this idea that when we get to the Olympics, and we are going to go to the Olympics, that we're going to win the gold because that's what we're here for. And they invest money and time and effort and energy and everything else kind of around this thought with this idea. Whether they win or lose. Because they believe that the goal is worth it, right? Now, I can't find a better picture for you on the planet of what Christian life should look like. I'll just be honest. See, the truth is, and this is what we talked about last week when Paul was talking in 1 Corinthians, is that, man, we should, in fact, knowing the goal, knowing the prize, knowing who Jesus is and that we're going to get there one day, we should wrap everything in us around this idea that we're going to stand before him one day. That we should discard, actually, our social life, and we should discard, actually, our finances and all those other things to wrap our minds around the idea that one day we're going to stand before Jesus. That's the goal, and it's worth it. That's what he's talking about. And that's really what this whole series is about. And this morning, we're going to talk about Hebrews chapter 12, where we see pretty much the same thing. It's amazing how we just find these threads. The problem is, in Hebrews chapter 12, it starts out with the word, therefore. Um, that's the first word in 12. And what that means for us is that when they chose to break these chapters up, they picked a very unfortunate place, um, because now we have to go back and get some context. To get that context, you have to go all the way back to Hebrews 11, and you see this... Um, Super title in mind. I don't know if it's the same in yours. It says Heroes of the Faith. I think some Bibles call it the Hall of Fame of Faith. But all Hebrews chapter 11 does is basically talk about these people in the Old Testament. It doesn't even get very far um, because there's so many of them. It talks about these people in their whole in the Old Testament that did wrap, in fact, their whole lives around this idea, this promise of God. Starts off and it talks about how by faith we believe that God created everything, that God created the world. So don't be giving that up because somebody tells you that's not a popular idea, that's a biblical idea. And it doesn't matter what the other book says, this is the living book. So I'm just going to put that out there. If you lay a science book here in the Bible here, the Bible actually takes precedence. So don't let somebody fool you into thinking that what they think or what they say is fact in the Bible. The Word of God, the God who was there, gives us an account of what happens. Amen. And it's by faith we believe that God created the world. And it starts going on, and it starts listing off, flipping off these people, and it says, um, by faith, Abel believed in God, and God accepted his offering. In other words, Abel believed that God was worthy of the best, the first fruits, the first things, so he made an offering. Very simple thing, really, isn't it? It's easy to make an offering in our brains, but is it easy to give the best? You know, never, never seeing God, just hearing stories of what Dad has told you about God, is it? Is it easy to, to make that offering? This is by faith, able to believe that. And he gave an offering that was better than things. Little thing. He goes on and talks about how about faith, all, all these other people did these other things. I think Abraham maybe is, is the next one. I don't know. Um, no, <laughs> by faith, this is Noah um, built the ark. Man, what, what an amazing thing that is. If God told you today, hey, I want you to go down to Lowe's and I want to buy like two million and two billion dollars worth of wood, and you're just going to go in the backyard and build an ark, would you have the faith to do that? The answer probably is no, not unless God showed up shining in a ball out right before me. I wouldn't have the faith to max my credit card after that. So Noah did. 
while everybody else was standing around like, man, Noah is the biggest weirdo in the world. Uh, he just <laughs> out here in the backyard building an ark on dry land, like, like going to, I don't know, Arizona and building an ark while you go there. There's no ocean there where you think you're going to get it. You can't haul it there. You don't have stuff like that back then when Noah was there. So what are you doing? But the faith made Noah, and I'm just going to go for him and do what God says to do. Talks about other people. Uh, talks about how, by faith, uh, Joseph predicted, he prophesied, man, that there was going to be an exodus. We're, we're not even into, like, the third, uh, second book of the Bible yet, right? <laughs> and by faith, he's like, man, there's going to be an exodus. We're leaving this place, and when you leave this place, uh, several, several years from now, you take a phone up and want to put it in the promise land. That sounds like a weird thing, but he believed the promises. But God says, by faith, Moses' parents were like, hey, you know what would be a great idea? Uh, it would be a great idea to put Moses in a basket. Don't worry about what they think. Don't worry about what Pharaoh's saying. Don't worry about the law. This baby's beautiful and he's from God. And we'll put him in his basket and protect him. So by faith, Moses decided it would be a great idea to not uh, be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But by faith, he would go out and he would, he would confront Pharaoh. He would go out, he think about that, like a man walking before Pharaoh and being like, hey, I know you have the power to kill me, but you need to let my people go because my God is bigger than your soil. And he did that by faith. And so think about that, walking over to the to the sea and there's an army coming at you and you're like, oh, don't worry, guys, I have the staff. And he reaches out his hand. <laughs> that takes faith, right? He reaches out his hand by faith and you're like, God parts these waters so they walk through like they were walking through on dry land. I can't imagine that. There's a sea there and then just stretches out a staff and the, the ground is insolent dry. The roads don't even get muddy when they're going through this thing. Like, man, that's faith. And on and on and on and on it goes. It doesn't even really get very far into the Old Testament. And you see all these, all these heroes, all these people, and eventually he just starts listing off names because he doesn't have room in Hebrews to write the story of all these people and eventually starts just generalizing and being like, people that do this have faith, people that do this have faith, people that do this have faith. See, the truth is, the Old Testament is a book filled with stories about how God comes through every time. Amen. When God promises something, God says something, it's not a risk really at all, but you can bank, you can risk everything there is on it because you know that God is going to come through on what he says. That's the story of the Old Testament, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying in 11. Man, every one of these people, every one of these times, every single moment, every single time, God comes through. And if God's given you a vision or a promise or something He's told you is going to happen way, way, way off in the future, you can stake your life on it, you can stake your bank account on it, you can wrap everything you have around that promise and run toward it because God always comes through. Amen. Find a story in the Old Testament actually where God doesn't come through, you can't do it. You cannot find one time that God says He's going to do something and He doesn't do it. You know why? Because He writes things like this in Second Timothy. Even when you are faithless, I am faithful. Even when you don't believe anything I'm going to say, even when you don't come through on your part of the deal, even when you don't do what you're supposed to do, I'm faithful. And because I'm faithful, because it's the very DNA of who I am, every time I say something, you can bank on it, it's going to happen. That's what God said. And you can wrap your life around it. See, the truth of it is, last week we saw how these people, uh, these people who compete in these sports, these people who compete in the Olympics, they will wrap their whole lives around an idea that, that may or may not come through. And even if it does, it's a very temporary thing. Man, everybody woke up this morning probably talking about how Michael Phelps is the greatest Olympian of all time. He won 23 gold medals or something like that. That's a, that's a big deal. But the truth of it is, in three months, we're not going to talk about it anymore. 
maybe every once in a while, but he's not going to be on any more talk shows, he's not going to be on the news anymore, and he's going to fade off into history, and maybe somewhere in some book you'll flip back, or maybe in four years, we'll be like, oh, remember last, I mean, four years ago, and not folks did this, but really, that's not going to matter for very long. But Paul says, man, the goal that we're going towards, the thing that we're going towards, man, it, it doesn't perish, it never runs away, it never ends, it never runs out. See, the truth is, Jesus has said, you're coming to me, right? If you know me, you're going to be with me. That's amazing. And if that's the truth, and Jesus always comes through on that, we can wrap our lives around that idea. So the writer of Hebrews 12 says, therefore, because of that, because of Abel, and because of Enoch, and because of um, Noah, and because of Abraham, and because of um, Joseph, and because of all these people in the Old Testament, because you've got book and book and book and book and book after book that proves time and time again that God is always faithful. Therefore, because of that, because, therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses, read chapter 11 is what he's saying, surrounding us. I love that term, witnesses. It's a legal term. It means you can testify. You've seen it. You're an eyewitness. He's saying these people are eyewitnesses to the faithfulness of God because we have so many witnesses that can testify and report about this. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily enfants us. What he's saying here, what the author is saying here, is because we have so many people that prove that God is true, let us wrap our lives around him. Once wrapping your life around him means, well, it means that you wrap your life around him. It means that you give up anything and everything that's keeping you from getting to that place. You give up anything and everything that's keeping you from, from getting to Jesus or getting closer to Jesus. And he picks two things. He says, weights and sins. Now, sins is an easy one. Like, we can all agree sins are bad, right? Like, if you're here this morning, uh, you would agree sins are bad. You would probably more so agree that other people's sins are bad. But we can agree that sins are bad. Sins are easy. Sins are things that I can find in your verses that say, hey, don't do this. Hey, this is bad for you. Hey, we shouldn't do this. Sins are these, these ten commandments. And then on top of that, these 613 other commandments. Sins are anything that God says not to do for a reason, for a purpose. And sometimes we justify those things. Sometimes we, oh man, it's, it's not as big a deal as this thing. Sometimes we compare those things. And we're like, well, this person's not, or I'm not as bad as this person. But, but the truth is, we all know that we have sin and sin is bad, correct? And the Bible says that sin makes you dead. That, that's a bad thing, right? You, know, you don't want to be a dead person. Ephesians 2, it says uh, that we're dead and our sins and our trespasses. There's some other chapters in there that say and mimic the same thing. But sin is a bad thing. We can all come and around that and agree on that. We're here this morning because we believe that Jesus has defeated our sin, probably at least in pain. But we believe that sin is a bad thing. So this morning, it's not hard to talk us into, man, we should, we should shed those sins. Now, it may be hard to get us to do it, but it's not hard to talk us into the idea that sins are, are a bad thing. See, the truth is that we, we cannot follow Jesus to the level that we need to follow Jesus if we're living in sin. That's, that's exactly what the writer is saying. There's all these people that we can see that are at their life around Jesus, and then God comes through in an amazing way. We're still talking about them today. They, they got past their 15 minutes of fame. They got past their three months. We're talking about them here in this moment still, hundreds, if not maybe a couple thousand years later for some of these guys. Like, we're still talking about them because they wrapped their life around Jesus. And, and in part of that, I was trying to shed those things, not live in sin. 
And this morning the writer's saying, hey, if you want to wrap your life around Jesus, one thing you have to get rid of is those sins that you know, that you have, that you're holding on to, that you're just keeping because they feel good or they're good or they're not as bad as this guy. you got to shed those things. Whatever that is for you. I, I could read you a list, but it would get long and you'd be here a while, so I'm not going to do that because God's already speaking to you and you know. I don't have to. Anything that God says not to do and you are doing, that thing right there is keeping you from following Jesus to the level that Jesus wants you to follow him. But the second part of that, or the first part of that, actually is this, this word waits. Well, it's just because of these things, I want you to shed the weights and the sins that so easily entangle you. So we know what a sin is. That's not even hard, but what is a weight? A weight is something that's a little trickier. See, a weight is something that I cannot find a specific verse for in your life, maybe, and, and plan it in there, but it's still something in your life, maybe good intended things that are keeping you from following Jesus to where Jesus wants you to go. A weight could be really anything. A weight could be a relationship. A weight could be a person. A weight could be a job. A weight could be a promotion. It could be a future thought. It could be, it could be really anything, but it's something in you that you're wrapping your life around that is not Jesus. This is the focal point of my life. If that's not Jesus, then it's a weight. And a weight will keep you from getting to where you need to be with Jesus. A weight will hinder you in the race. But let me, let me just share a thought with you that I, I kind of had last night. Some of us are in the same place with Jesus today as we were a year ago. Amen? Yeah. Some of us are in the same place with Jesus today as we were two years, three years, since we've been following him lately. We come down here and we set up prayer and we're like, man, I'm giving you everything. I'm putting everything on the table. Everything is yours. I, I, I want you. I don't want to go to hell, whatever that prayer looked like for you. We prayed that prayer and we got up and nothing really progressed for us. Let me ask you this question. What have you changed? What have you changed? You're standing in the same spot, and you're frustrated because you're standing in the same spot, and we just ask you, well, what's different today? If nothing's different today, that's probably the problem. The prayer will not get you from ground zero to Jesus in one day. It will get you saved, maybe, if you a minute, and that's between you and God. It's not magic, sprinkle on an altar, it's not how that works. But man, if you're still standing in the same place, have you laid aside sins? Have you, have you laid aside weights? And some of you guys are like, well, I changed my language. Well, that's great. That's a start. That's a beginning. But if you wrap your life around Jesus, I changed my habits. Well, that's great. That's a start. You probably took a step or two, but have, have you wrapped your life around Jesus? See, the truth is, until that happens, you cannot go where you need to go in your relationship with Jesus. It's not, this is the finish line. This is the starting line. This is where the race begins. This is where you get on the track. This is the entrance point. This is where it begins. And then everything else that happens in that point is the race that you run that eventually gets you to the finish line of standing with God. And the truth is, it would be ridiculous for me to go to the track today and try to carry that and that and that and that and one of those and like you. It would be ridiculous to grab all that stuff and try to get on the track and run because I'm not going to get very far. I thought about when I did this. I was like, I'm just, I'm just not prepared enough for things like this. But I was like, I could get a backpack, and I could get a trench coat, and I could get like a helmet, and I could get like. <laughs> See, the truth is, if you want to run a race, and you want to run a race well, you're gonna, you're gonna carry the least amount of stuff with you. 
We don't see the guys down there with the Olympics on the cooler around because they're not going to get thirsty. Like, you're not going to win. And it's the same thing in, in your run with Jesus. If you want to be close to Jesus, you got to quit carrying so much stuff. You can't be carrying around all the sins that you just really enjoy because you're not going to get anywhere. And you can't quit. You have to quit carrying around all these all these weights, all these things that you know are not pleasing to God. You have to quit wrapping your life around all these other things and trying to hold on to all these other things if you want to run towards Jesus. And the truth of it is, most of us that aren't as close as we want to be with Jesus are just not trying to get rid of anything. And here this author says, hey, because we have all these people to show us how it's done. Because we have all these people in the front half of the book that testify of the faithfulness of God. Think about Abraham. God was like, hey, I want you to leave your house. First time we have evidence that God ever spoke to him, by the way. Hey, I want you to leave your house and you go somewhere. Then tell him where. He's like, okay. Sounds like a great idea. He wasn't like, I really love you. You you keep talking to me, but I'm going to stay right here. And if he did, we never would have heard his story. Because he would have been significant. Because God can't do that. And it's because we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, this has let us lay aside, willingly lay down every weight, everything we're wrapping our life around is not Jesus and sin, not one or the other. That so easily ensnares us. This word ensnares is the word that means to trap or trip up, basically. You know what we have to lay aside those things? Because it's not even hard for them to destroy our walk with Jesus. Oh, I'm a big dude. I, I, I can do both. I can follow Jesus, but I mean, I can handle this. I, I, can, I can keep this in check. No, you can't. It's easy and it doesn't. That's why God says to Cain, get your heart in check because sin's waiting at waiting at the door to kill you. You're going you're gonna to go down if you keep trying to live in both places. He says, lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares you or traps you or trips you up. And then it says this, and run the race or run with endurance the race that lies before us. Lay aside those things and run with this word endurance. The race that lies before us. See, the truth of the Bible this morning is that we are in a race if we know Jesus. It's not, I just showed up today at the church. That's not how that works. But I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a marathon, sprinting towards him. And in that marathon, there are things in my life that are trying to take me down and take me out. They're trying to disqualify me. They're trying to drag me out of the race. They're trying to keep me back. And, and as Paul said last week, man, we're running and we're running in a way that we may so win. Right? But here, in this, we have another kind of sport illustration. He says, run with endurance the race that lies before us. Endurance is, is a word really that just means staying power. That we run in a way that we may stay in the race. But it's also a word that if you look up the second definition, we suffer patiently. Isn't that crazy? See, the word endurance actually implies that there will be suffering. 
we, we like to forget those parts. We're like, oh, everything's happy after you come, pray this whole prayer, you're going to be good, everything's going to be great, rainbow, sunshine, puppies, the rest of your life. Because Jesus is here. Well, amen. Everything eternally will be wonderful and great and amazing. But today, we have to endure. And endurance is just a, a word meaning and implying that there will be suffering, but in the suffering we can stay. We can suffer patiently. See, the truth of it is, I mean, Christianity has never been a guarantee of an easy life. If it was, you could get everybody to sign up, right? Oh, you're having struggles, man. I can get rid of all your struggles. Look at me, I never messed with anything. I never had struggles with anything. Money's great. Time is great. People are great. Everybody's nice to me. I have the best job. I have the best stuff. Like, you can get anybody in the world to sign up for that. But to look at somebody like the, the author does here and say, you know what, actually Christianity is full of suffering. There are going to be moments that are hard. By, by definition, a race is a hard thing. That's why everybody doesn't do it. That's why I don't race, because running is hard. I don't like to run. <laughs> running is horrible. If there's not free food or a bear, I'm not going to run. That's how that works. <laughs> Two things. Two things I'll run. Race is hard. Racist hate and endurance. Christianity, in the same way, is hard. And it takes endurance. See, the truth of it is, man, every one of those people that you read about in, in the Bible, they all had struggles with them. You could read any of them, except Enoch. We don't know much about him, but he's left. <laughs> but with everything else, man, there's, there's suffering, there's struggle. This body, in, by definition, is going to bring that. See, the truth of it is when we lay aside those things, we can stay in the race. When we lay aside those things, we can suffer through. He says, run with endurance the race that lies before us. And he says, this, this is the power moment right here. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. You know what's going to keep you in the race when it gets hard? A proper picture of what the goal is. If the goal is to come to church and not be charged, you're going to leave. That's how that works. Oh man, this happened. I'm not going to church because I'm mad at God because I was going to church. Well, not it's hard if worship songs are your deal. You know, you know it's not going to happen for you. Worship songs because that's not a goal. Oh man, I love the preach. That's very wonderful. Amazing. That's not the goal. The goal is Jesus. The goal is that one day every single one of us that know Him are going to stand before Him. And in that moment, everything's going to be amazing. See, when we lose, we lose sight of that sometimes, don't we? Like, this is temporary. Today is temporary. Yesterday is temporary. Last week is temporary. It's already over. It's temporary. I'm down 29 years, going on 30. It's temporary. It feels fast. Anybody else? It feels fast, doesn't it? Yeah. You're like, where'd it go? It's temporary. But we're going to a place that is eternal, that is forever, that, that doesn't end, doesn't stop, that doesn't wear out. And we're going to be in bodies that don't end and don't stop and don't wear out. And oh, by the way, we're going to be with a Savior who loves us and that never runs out, that never stops, that never fades away. And everything in that moment is going to be great and perfect and worth it. That's better than any super trophy or gold medal. That's the deal right there. That's the, that's the thing right there. And if these people, these uh, Olympians, uh, can wrap their lives around a gold medal that does wear out, by the way, and will be lost eventually, by the way, or end up in a museum somewhere, by the way, because they're going to go in a hole and they can throw them in there with them, but who cares? Then why in the world is it hard for us to wrap our minds around and our lives around this idea that one day we're going to be with him? 
Oh, I can't give up this. Oh, I can't lay aside this. Oh, this is great. I can't get rid of this. Oh, I have to hold on to this. I have to be here. I have to be with this. I have to be around this. Oh, yeah, right. If church is your goal, yeah, stay with all that other stuff. Because church ain't going to get you off this planet. If songs are your goal, oh great, that's amazing. And then you stay with all those other things because that's not going to get you off this planet. But if you've seen Jesus, if that's the goal, if that's who we're running towards, if that's who we're going to be with eternally, if that's what we want to be with at the end of the day and who we want to be with at the end of the day, man, you can shed anything to get there because the race needs to be quick. We want to get there. Anybody, I want to step into eternity and I don't care if it's soon. I want to be before Jesus, and I don't care if it's sin. I don't have anything left to do. I don't have anything I need to do. I'm here because it's it's okay for right now, but it's full of suffering, and I'm going to endure to the end. I'll be here as long as he wants me here, but I don't have anything left to do. I'll step in tomorrow or today. And I'm okay with that. Paul writes words like this because he has the proper perspective to live as Christ. To live, I'll just I'll do what I need to do. I'm going to focus on Him. I'm going to run towards Him. I'm going to shed the other things. I'm going to be Him as much as I can. To live as Christ, but to die as Him. He writes things like this because it's far better to depart and be with Him. You know why he writes things like that? Because the goal is Jesus. The goal is not to live a really long time. The goal is not to reach retirement. The goal is not to have the best stuff or the best relationship. You didn't have kids. His goal isn't to raise his kids. His goal is to be with Jesus. And the truth of it is this morning, any goal other than that is not going to carry you very far. She says, let us run with endurance. Let us run hard. Let us run when it gets hard. With endurance, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And he says this, the source where our faith comes from and the perfecter of our faith, the one who completes our faith. Jesus is the beginning and the end of our faith. Faith didn't come from you, didn't end with you, it came from you. He'll make it complete and he'll make it perfect. If we keep our eyes on him. And then it says this, three, four, the joy that lay before him. And I just want to see this shift here because now it's talking about Jesus' race. It's not talking about your race. Your race is a little bitty thing, a very difficult thing. It says, three, four, the joy that lay before him endured, again, suffered patiently, a cross. It was actually the joy of that goal, that finish line, that caused Jesus to suffer on the cross. See, the truth of it is, Jesus didn't die on the cross because some Romans put him there. That's not how that worked. Jesus didn't die on the cross because he had to. Uh, he died on the cross because he saw the goal. He saw the result. He saw where he was going. And he was running for it. He saw the end game. He saw the finish line. And that finish line looked a whole lot like saving you and a whole lot more like being with the Father. Jesus knew what it was like to be with the Father. He, he'd always been with the Father. And before creation, He was with the Father and He stepped down out of heaven to come down here and save you. That was the goal. That you and you and you and you and you could get there with Him. He made a way. 
And looking at that with joy, looking at what that would accomplish with joy, looking at you know uh, the end result of the cross with joy, looking at the finish line with joy, he was like, you know what? I will come upon the cross. I will endure. I will suffer patiently on the cross. I, I will take all the beatings. I will take all the mockings. I will take all the shame. I will take all that stuff, and I will let them nail me and pierce me and whip me and beat me and mock me. I, I will sit there, and I will suffocate on my own blood. You know why? Because I want to be with you. What brings joy to the mind of Jesus is the thought of being with you. And because of that, because of that moment, because of that thought, Jesus ran the race, and he ran it better than you could ever run, right? And knowing the race was going to take him through this path of suffering, knowing the race, if he wanted to complete it, if he wanted to get to the finish line, if he wanted to be at the goal, he would have to take the nails. He was like, you know what? That's okay, because I see the end. Knowing that at the end, uh, to, to, to get to the end, he had to cross through the beatings and the mockings and the shame. He was like, you know what? I'll do that because I see the end. Knowing what the goal was, knowing that he had to, to go through the cross, knowing that he had to go through all, all of those things, all those moments, all, all those things that were said, all those things that were done, knowing he had to travel through those things to get to the goal, Jesus still chose the goal. You know why? Because of the joy that the goal brought him. It says he endured a cross and he despised the shame. What that means is A, that he hated the shame, but B, that he could kind of mock the shame. Hey, you know what, shame? They're going to hang me on a cross. I'm going to be naked. I'm going to die before the whole world. That is peanuts compared to what's coming. Compared to the joy that's coming, the shame that I have to endure is no big deal. It's nothing in my brain. It's temporary. It's momentary. It's little and it's light. Can you imagine that? The cross being light, it's, it's a big thing. But compared to the joy, it's not a big thing. Compared to the goal, it's not a big thing. Compared to where he's running, man, it's nothing. Because for eternity, he's going to be with those who come to him. For eternity, he's going to be there in the presence of the Father. And we're going to be gathered around him. And he sees that, and he runs towards that, and he looks at Shane, and he's like, you're no big deal. So sued for the joy that lay before him endured or suffered patiently on a cross and despised the shame and has now, look at this, has sat down at the right hand of God's. And this is where Jesus is right now. Jesus is at the goal. He's already past the finish line. He's already where he meant to be. And I love this idea that he sat down. You know when you sat down? You know when you sit down? When the work's done. You sit down when you're done. You work and 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 you work until the work's finished and then you rest. And right now, I just want you to know, Jesus is sitting in the posture of rest because everything is done. When Jesus said, it is finished, everything was done. The race was over and he had won. Everything he needed to accomplish has been accomplished. In that moment when Jesus said it is finished, what he meant was, your sin is finished, every bit. Your sin, your sin, your sin, their sin, everybody's sin, crushed. Your shame is finished. It's gone. It's out of the way. It, it's already been mocked. It's already been ridiculed. Jesus has already shamed your shame. Like, it's done. Your guilt, it's finished. It's over. It's crushed. There's no more. It can creep in. It can come up. But there's a stick called the cross that Jesus has beat it with, and it's done. 
Your way is paid. You, you have a spot in heaven. You have a seat in heaven. There's a place for you in heaven. Jesus is completely done. And when he got done, he said, you know what, God? It's finished. I did it. Grace over. Grace complete. Mission done. Goal achieved. And then Jesus breathed his last and he set the cross Amen. Amen. And he sat down. And see, the truth of it is, what Hebrews 12 is saying to us this morning is that we can do the same thing. We can follow that same goal. We can follow that, that, that same footprint that Jesus laid out for us. That us today, we can run a race in such a way that when we're done at the end of our life, we can say to God, it is finished. I've done everything you had for me, God. I've done everything you had for me, Jesus. I, I know your plan. I've seen your plan. And I feel confident today, standing here at the end, that I am done. So it is finished. Exhale. And we can step across into the same spot that Jesus is in. The truth of it is, man, some of us are already resting, aren't we? Some of us are already sitting down. And we're already sitting down because we're so burdened down with other stuff. We can't stand. We're so burdened down with life or this thing or this goal or this. We wrap our lives around the wrong thing and now we just can't stand under the weight of that thing. So we're exhausted and we're sitting down. We wrapped our lives around this sin or this choice or this decision and we just can't stand anymore. So we're sitting down this morning. I just want you to know Jesus is inviting you back into the race. Jesus isn't done with you. Once you start a race, you do have until you finish the finish. What I mean by that is until you breathe out your last, you can still run this thing. Until you exhale for the final time, even if you sit down, even if you quit, even if you've made poor choices, uh, you can shed that stuff today and you can stand back up and you can finish the race. You may get there slower than some other people. You, you may not be in the front of the pack right now, but you can still run. And I just want to say to you, Jesus is inviting you into that. That today you can see him and you can see that he's worth it and you can see that the goal is worth it and what he has for your life is worth it. Look at what he had for the lives of these people that we talked about in Hebrews 11. Every, every one of these people, God promised them something and he fulfilled that promise. Can you imagine? Like, we still talk about these people today. Enoch, what do we know about that guy? We don't know his hobbies, we don't know his hair color, we don't know his likes, we don't know anything about it, but we're still talking about it because he's the only one that ran in such a way, he didn't have to die, Jesus was just like, okay, beam you up. <laughs> Man, your race is so good, I'm taking you now. Still talking about it. Moses, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. That was his words, and God was like, you know what, yes, you can. And then he made a way, and we're still talking about that. He sat down, but he got back up. And we're still talking about that. Look what God did in his life. Look what God used him for, because he was willing to just run a race. God, I believe you said it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into it. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know all the details, but I'm going to go. Abraham, look at that guy. See stupid decisions he made at least one, if not two, three times in, in this book. Yet, yeah, he sat down several times. 
Yeah, look, we still talk about him today. You know why? Because he had the faith to get up and endure it and to shed those things. He could do it. Noah, build the ark. What a stupid thing to do. Go build this giant boat in your backyard. Sounds ridiculous. Still talking about it today. You know why? Because he had faith in what God says and he stood up and he ran the race. And this morning, God's saying, you know what? You can have a crazy story like that. You can have an ark moment in your life. You can have an exodus moment in your life. You can have a, a being you up moment in your life. You can be the same. We have a great cloud of witnesses testifying of the faithfulness of God. Why can't you be one of those? You can have a life that at the end of it, you can say to God with confidence, it is finished. I did what you said to do. I've accomplished what you said to do. I would rather say that than, man, I need more time, wouldn't you? I haven't done anything, God, wouldn't you? And let me stay a little bit longer because I just haven't worked, God, wouldn't you? And this morning, God's inviting you into that. 